this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the in focus podcast from the hindu i'm pj george your host for today An international group of news publications are reporting that a spy van known as Pegasus has been used to spy on politicians, journalists and activists in at least 10 countries. Reports from the group which includes the Wire in India, the Guardian in the UK and Washington Post in the US among others suggest that in India at least 40 journalists, sitting cabinet ministers and holders of constitutional positions were possibly subjected to surveillance. The reports are based on a database of about 50,000 phone numbers accessed by Paris-based non-profit Forbidden Stories and Amnesty International. They say that these are numbers of interest to Pegasus clients. According to the Guardian, Amnesty's cyber forensics lab has tested 67 of these phones and found that 23 were successfully infected and 14 showed signs of attempted penetration. So what do we know about Pegasus? There are reports that show that spyware developed by Israeli firm NSO was in use in 2016 or even earlier in West Asian countries. It is said to have been used against Jamal Khashoggi, the Saudi dissident who was assassinated in the kingdom's embassy in Turkey. The Pegasus spyware is graded as a cyber weapon. and NSO states that its clients include only authorized government entities from various countries this leads to some problematic inferences particularly in india where the target list includes opposition leaders social activists from leftist organizations journalists who have written against the government and constitutional officers who have reportedly not told the government line this leads to questions on the constitutionality of electronic surveillance in india and whether the laws that govern them are robust enough to answer these and some other questions we have with us abar gupta lawyer and executive director of the internet freedom foundation so abar gupta welcome to the hin focus episode from the hindu we are glad to have you here to explain the legal aspects around the pegasus issue that has come forth now welcome to the show apart thank you so much for having me i'm uh, really glad to again talk to the listeners of the hindu podcast i think they may find great value in the depth and the detail we'll go into today so apart to go into the issue pegasus is graded as a cyber weapon and it originates from israel from the nso group can we go into what this means and what are the implications of it being a cyber weapon the nso group which is the company which uh, codes and deploys uh, pegasus which is the spyware and sells it as well uh, says it only sells it to countries it only sells it for uh, incidents of national security or prevent terrorism and in fact um, this has been fairly up in dispute given that uh, pegasus has been repeatedly called out from instances stretching back about one and a half years in 2019 itself to the much more recent revelations 
for being used against human rights defenders, journalists, activists, opposition leaders, or anybody who's pretty much uh, opposed to a system of autocracy, um, autocratic values, uh, and pushes for democratic reform. Because, you know, the largest uh, clients for NSO happen to be autocrats. They happen to be countries with imperfect democratic systems in Latin America, in Africa, in the Middle East, and now potentially even India. The second thing I'd just like to indicate is that uh, this classification of it being a weapons-grade export actually is also fairly certain because there's a legal opinion given to the investors of NSO Group. So it was bought over, it was invested a little by a, a private equity fund, um, which was called Noval Pina Capital. And there's a, a legal opinion given by a law firm in May of 2019, just to um, uh, put the P's and the T's in their places. So uh, essentially what it says is that in paragraph 7, that it's covered by a defense control regime under Israeli law uh, made in 2007. In paragraph 8, it says that specific approval from the defense uh, uh, ministry in Israel is needed with a end-user certificate, which certifies that the purchaser is a uh, country. And this is the same process, in fact, followed and may shock people for arms exports, for instance, guns, missiles from Israel, which are manufactured there. So if we look at Pegasus closely, it qualifies as a cyber weapon due to the nature of its infection threat does not require any clicks. It's very advanced. The nature of information it surveils and the functionality it has. And I'm, uh, and I'm quite sure that people can get into the functionality. There are enough explainers, but the law as it is there in Israel quite clearly requires all these checks to be put in place. But the larger question is, were these checks followed? Yeah, thanks, Apart. Now... Given this, that uh, the clients can only be nation states, however, the Indian government, the previous uh, IT minister as well as the current uh, one, Aishini Vaishnav, has not confirmed whether India has purchased uh, Pegasus in any form at any point of time. And Ashni Vaishnav also yesterday spoke about India having robust uh, and time-tested procedures on uh, surveillance. Can you go into a bit of detail on what are the laws that are around surveillance in India and what are the provisions that make uh, surveillance legally possible in India? Uh, thank you so much for asking me that question. This may get, get a little bit legal. I'll get into the numbers and specific enactments, but I'll try to deal with it in a way which is uh, fairly simple and approachable. So we've had a Telegraph Act for a long period of time, and that's been the underlying uh, framework of how uh, even mobile phones are governed today. So it's quite uh, relevant, even though it was made in 1885, and it's been amended through a process of time. So that has a provision under Section 5, Subsection 2, which permits uh, inter perception of messages or a class of messages and there are rules which are made which operationalize it and provide a procedure and process for it which is the executive notification so section 52 is uh, equivalent to let's say a parliamentary enactment and rule 419a of the telegraph rules 
are actually uh, the executive notification governing the process. Uh, it requires essentially a very high level of authorization from a cabinet secretary in the Ministry of Home, but it has core faults because the orders are passed in secret. They contain quite often, um, they don't contain reasons as certain disclosures we have found. They are passed mechanically, sometimes for political purposes. There is no independent checks and balances. There's no judicial oversight. There's no parliamentary um, oversight. And this is a core design fault within it. Now, the second bit of laws which are there under the Information Technology Act, under Section 69 specifically, which is for electronic surveillance, it's kind of similar to uh, the Telegraph Act, the Information Technology Act, but it's way worse. Because under the Telegraph Act, to pass an order, at least legally, it may or may not be passed under the Telegraph Act operationally, but at least legally, as per the law under the Telegraph Act, it can be passed only in two conditions for public safety or security or public order. So public safety, security and public order are the two grounds under which it can be passed. However, if you look at section 69 of the IT Act, these conditions are not there. And the second is just like the Telegraph Act, the parliamentary enactment, which empowers the central government to issue these orders, which is section 16, also has a process and rules. These are the information technology in brackets procedure for safeguard of interception, monitoring and decryption of information rules 2009. These rules are also very broad and vague and, you know, they define interception to include uh, also changing your traffic direction. For instance, if you put in google.com on your browser, the government can send an order to Bharti, Airtel or Reliance, Jio, ISP to display another website which looks like Google but may not be Google. Monitoring also, which is defined within these rules, again, are very questionable and vague and monitoring, they say, can be any device which can be planted for acquisition of any information. Very, very broad definitions. These rules are under challenge as well as the Telegraph Act is under challenge due to the increasing nature of information which can be surveilled before the Supreme Court in a batch of petitions. The Internet Freedom Foundation also happens to be one of the petitioners which is challenging this form of overbroad digital surveillance. Now, one final piece of the legal puzzle is that, is this legal, is this not? Let me answer that directly as well. This is illegal because using malware or installing malware is not surveillance. Surveillance is when you drop into a conversation being done by two people and you pass order. It's not when you insert a secret malware which damages a person's device, can lead to planting of evidence, uh, can also activate a smartphone as a secret listening device when a person is not there or also extract information, for instance, of Google searches, photographs, GPS coordinates, which is very very, very, very invasive. And this is actually illegal under the Information Technology Act and constitutes unauthorized access being a crime under Section 66 itself. So arguably, I think so the government is in quite a blind and which is why it's not admitting whether it purchased and used Pegasus or not. But that's a larger question open to an independent investigation. And you're right. From 2019, when the first revelations were made, there has been a lack of not only a clear answer, but any investigation or an official response. In fact, 
on November 30th, 2019, when Mr. Ravi Shankar Prasad made a statement on the floor of parliament, he stated that no unauthorized interception ever takes place. And yesterday's, which is July 19th, 2021 statement by the present Minister for IT, Mr. Ashwini Vaisna's statement also, it has only two portions. The first portion is with respect to an ambiguous non-response which is a reference to uh, the existing legal powers, but does not state whether those legal powers were used or not used and whether factually Pegasus were purchased or not purchased. And secondly, goes to parrot the statement made by NSO Group, which is a bald denial. And again, this points a larger question that why the statements of a spyware manufacturer which is in the midst of this raging global controversy being relied upon and being used as a defense by the government of India on the floor of parliament. Thanks, Apa, for that uh, detailed explanation. Now, to get into the solutions part, what is the answer here? Does it lie in more detailed uh, privacy law that uh, should come into India? Or do we need to reform the IT Act? Or do we need to better the surveillance uh, protocols and the laws surrounding it? Or does it lie with private entities like the phone makers and uh, uh, Google who runs Android or iOS to increase their security? Uh, where does the answer lie here? I'm so happy you're asking this question because many people are wondering what they can do to secure themselves as they hear about Pegasus and get more and more scared. A uh, lot of them happen to be also women who fear that recording devices can be activated by uh, spyware. And in fact, that is the reality. Beyond governments, today's spyware is purchased by a lot of people uh, and also private companies to conduct not only levels of espionage, but just spy and snoop on colleagues, partners, family members, um, and professional colleagues. Um, uh, I think a part of this is legal, a part of this is technical, a part of this also requires greater international governance uh, to be done. Um, and all of these parts need to come together to secure, um, given that there's a very high degree of digital penetration in our lives with respect to our daily activities. And it's far more complete today than it was ever before. And in future, it's only going to become much more intimate, not only being viewed from the perspective of securing our financial transaction or data from theft of money from unauthorized or, 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 uh, transactions, but being much more visceral in a sense, uh, securing devices such as our uh, smartwatches or our television sets, which almost come with the operating system. In terms of solutions, now the given that the range of the problem is so broad, I think technically what needs to be done is that um, most organizations, companies need to allocate cyber security budgets. They need to appoint uh, CISOs, which are... Uh, uh, which are essentially cyber security uh, chief technology chief information officers to secure themselves um, because uh, if you're investing for instance in private security uh, with guards etc you also need to now secure uh, your digital assets the second part is for technology companies to also 
produce better and more secure um, forms of uh, software which can be used in uh, daily communication, which utilize uh, technologies such as end-to-end -end encryption, which keep conversations private and safe or transactions on banking portals or when you're booking railway tickets much more secure. The third part is legal reform. My colleagues uh, Tanmay Singh and Anushka Jain have only today authored an op-ed in the Hindu uh, regarding this, pointing to how changes need to be made not only to the Telegraph and the Information Technology Act, but the incoming data protection bill needs to be expanded as a privacy bill, as an information privacy bill. And in fact, the government of India through the Department of Planning and Training close to 2015, considered both data protection, which is the consensual sharing of data. For instance, when you click, I agree, and then there, there are certain terms governing it. So that kind of data protection, which is being considered right now by parliament, by JPC, needs to be expanded to also include within it surveillance reform because ultimately we're using the same smartphones laptops uh, and digital devices which in which information can either be gathered consensually or can be gathered without a consent which is what is uh, termed as surveillance and also such a law should clearly prohibit and make it illegal for the use both private and public of such kind of cyber weapons uh, because I believe that this is not only legally wrong, but it also challenges, given the range of disclosures, the very basis of electoral democracy, because the, given the range of the targets, how it's used. And the fourth and the final part is international norm making, that international treaties, international audits and investigations need to be done. Such kind of manufacturers of such kind of exports which are showing a very faulty legal process despite all those assurances of it only being used to prevent terrorism need to be done in a manner in which there's greater accountability and companies such as NSO can be held accountable for the sale of this software, which has also been termed to be the software which was used to surveil and track journalists such as Jamal Khashoggi by the regime in Saudi Arabia. So I think there is a broad base of action starting out with technology development towards legal reform and international norm making, which is very necessary and signals uh, for a large amount of collaborative action, just given the range of disclosures. And even if you look beyond the disclosures in India, that's truly massive. It's about 45 countries, 15 journalistic organizations. And this is not, this is just the NSO group. There may be several other vendors out. Uh, before we conclude, Abar, is there any other aspect that you think we should uh, cover or any other point that you would like to make? One point I'd like to make is that the software is very expensive and people may be thinking, well, this can't happen to me. Pegasus can't be happen happening to me. I would say that this is a faulty assumption. and People need to be more concerned, even people who, are, who may think that, uh, well, such kind of surveillance happens physically or notionally. It happens every time. This is different because it's happened to a range of targets 
who are public personalities or working in public interest who are your elected legislators in parliament even if you did not vote for them consider the cabinet ministers so it puts a big question mark if not the government if somebody else this is a national security risk so people need to sit up and pay notice the second is it costs crores of rupees now imagine in a covid pandemic when fuel prices are at historic highs that money rather than going towards migrant relief or decreasing your uh, your monthly bills in terms of any kind of groceries which are also impacted by food bills this money which uh, is being used for purchasing pegasus which was active as late as last week the third is as technology develops it also becomes cheaper and hence spyware will not only be purchased by governments it will be purchased by um, by estranged spouses by former lovers by by uh, by business rivals uh, or any any or even by neighbors so please please everyone should be invested in this debate this debate is not limited to those people who are in the public limelight are dissidents activists or are there in um, or discharging a public function it impacts all of us because it's attacking at the very root of our participatory democracy thanks a lot abar gupta for that enlightening explanation on the pegasus saga as well as the related privacy issues it was a great thing to have you here again on the in focus podcast we hope to hear more from you in the future as well thanks apart thank you so much thank you in focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues in the meantime you can find our podcast on spotify apple podcasts stitcher and other platforms Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.